So here we are, week two of One Hit Wonders, where we're going through uh, different books of the Bible that have just one chapter. Now, before we jump in, we're going to be looking at the book of Jude today. Um, if you don't know where Jude is, it is the second to last book of the Bible. So if you go all the way to the end of the scriptures, you see Revelation, jump back one. Um, but listen, 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, uh, I made a decision, okay, I wanted to get uh, physically fit, okay? I wanted to exercise, but I'll be honest with you. Um, I didn't want no prolonged workout program. I wanted something quick, easy, that would be super effective. And then I saw it. The infomercial that was going to solve all my problems, Tony Horton. Oh, if you don't know who Tony Horton is, he was the spokesperson and developer of an incredible workout thing called P90X. Oh, I hear laughter and moans because some of you are like, <laughs> nope. So I bought it. And this is back in the day when it wasn't online. Oh, no, a whole box of DVDs arrived at my doorstep. And you may be thinking, Keith, did you go through P90X? And the fact that you have to ask that question, <laughs> yes, I did. Did I come out off after those 90 days as this Greek statue? Absolutely not. <laughs> now, here's what was funny, though. What was funny is I hit around day like 60, so I'm like two months in. I'm just like, all right, Keith, you, there is nothing changing here, bud. Um, so maybe it's this last 30 days. Like, that's where everything changes. Tony Horton promised me a lie. All those warm-ups, he wants you to back out like a pterodactyl. That's, listen, I bought it hook, line, sinker. I even, had, I even brought friends with me. We were getting together every morning doing P90X. It was awesome. Now, maybe what undid it was the fact that we wouldn't have McDonald's breakfast platters right after. <laughs> I'll let you decide that for me. But I fell for it. I thought something that I was like, man, this is great. This can't be too good to be true. I'm going to go all in and let me down. It wasn't true. I even brought guys alongside me. I said, yeah, man, you do this for 90 days, man. We're going to be, we're going to be chiseled. We're going to be lean. We're looking good. We're going to six pack. You know, you, we're going to have a 12 pack of abs. Yeah. Nope. Well, today is we're looking at this letter written by a guy named Jude. We're going to discover just how I felt very disdain. I was lied to. I was deceived. He's dealing with something very similar, probably not physical fitness, um, just to kind of let you know, but he's dealing with an entirely different thing that is way more important than Tony Horton and P90X. Now, here's some fun facts, some context, if you will. See, Jude is actually, uh, hey, Jude, I had to say the Beatles reference. I apologize. Um, they can edit that out later. Um, so Jude is actually, his name was Judas. Everybody's like, oh, Judas, different Judas. That's actually why he went by the name Jude is because uh, in the New Testament, there are actually six different uh, people named Judas. So he didn't want to get kind of, they want to make sure he wasn't like mistaken for the Judas that betrayed Jesus. So he went by Jude. And here's another, another great fun fact. He's also the half-brother of Jesus. So just like James, who wrote a letter in the New Testament, he is the half-brother of Jesus. And even further, can you imagine 
waking up and finding out your half-brother, who you thought was just a little bit too good to begin with, he always did everything perfectly, and then he's like, I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. And if you would be like any other sibling, you would roll your eyes, say, yeah, right. So for Jude, also for James, it was after Jesus, after his resurrection, was when they became followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the purpose of this letter is almost in a way is prevention and correction. So by the time Jude wrote this letter, Christianity had been around for about 20 to 30 years. So what that means is there's been enough time for people to kind of um, twist the gospel, kind of insert things, say, add things to it, say, well, you got to believe in Jesus and you got to do this. Or the fact that the gospel, because of God's grace, it gives us permission to do whatever we want. So Jude in, in light of that, in that context, that's why he's writing what he's going to write. And let me tell you something. If you've never read the book of Jude, um, it is the least passive-aggressive text um, in the New Testament. He goes hard. He goes just ham on them, if I can say the old-school term for you. So he's talking about these individuals that are trying to push a false gospel, a false gospel that is telling people that, that listen, because of God's grace, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to live in a certain way. You don't have to live by certain characteristics or attributes. You can do whatever you want. And Jude is bringing correction to that. So we're going to start reading. And there are 25 verses in the book of Jude. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, we're going to read 25 verses? And the answer is yes. Okay, so I want you to buckle in, buckle up. I promise you I am not going to be boring as I read these 25 verses because, again, Jude is... Mm, He's almost a jerk in the best beautiful way. So verse 1 says, This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So this is the text. This is the portion, again, as scholars believe that he's the half-brother of Jesus, the actual full brother of James. Let's keep going. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in care of Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Doesn't that just sound great? Like, man, this is going to be a good letter. Ah, I love Jude. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. Yes. But... Now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all to his holy people. And then he gets to the, one of the main points of this text. Verse 4 says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. And I love this depiction. He says, worms their way. You know, yesterday I was sitting outside my cat, um, one of my cats, her name is Ember. She was playing with something. I was like, what in the world are you doing? And she's playing with this baby snake. And I'm like, mm, I don't like snakes. So I'm like, what kind of snake is it? And I made sure it wasn't point, uh, venomous, so I didn't want to, you know, kill my cat. And I just watched. I'm like, oh, she's just allowing that snake to do whatever it kind of wants. And sometimes, again, let me see. Let me get back to that one. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. I'm going to say snaked their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. 
The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you. See, the book of Jude, this letter is full of reminders of not pursuing a false gospel. It's a book of reminders of reinforcing that following God doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who would not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belong. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. These are the angels who rebelled against Satan were cast out. Verse 7, and don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. So again, he's already trying to dispel this, this false gospel that, again, that, oh, you can just do whatever you want. God doesn't care. Just, it's, it's all about you. It's okay. He's like, no, no, no. Remember this. Remember this. Hey, don't forget this. Verse 8, in the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing about the devil, with the devil about Moses' body. Verse 10, but these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like, uh, this is, again, he, get, he gets kind of mean. Like unthinking animals. That's a nice way of saying like stupid animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them, and they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them? Again, Jude's about to give some more cautionary tales. They follow the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, who deceived people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they're like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They're like shameless shepherds who can only care for themselves. They're like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They're like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They're like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to blackest darkness. Darkness. Can you imagine right now if I started calling people out by name? I'm not. Don't freak out. Uh, spotlight. And said, you know what? You're like a reef and you're going to cause shipwreck in someone's life. You're going to wreck their life. That's what you just call on these individuals. You're like trees that are completely useless. Double so because you don't even produce fruit and you're getting thrown up by your roots. He is making his point. Verse 14, you're like, oh man, it's not over. Nope. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. See, again, he's giving history, background, context, and really evidence of how God is not okay with us just living our own lives, doing our own thing, and living in this false gospel. 
Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation, after Adam prophesied about these people, said, hey, he said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. I hope I'm never in this list. And you're probably thinking, can, can it get positive now? No, welcome to Thrive Church. Let's get reading, verse 17. It does get a little bit more encouraging, don't worry. Kind of. More like a challenge. But anyways, verse 17, but you, my dear friend. So now he's, he's shifting his focus from talking about the individuals that are pushing this false gospel to the individuals that are living the true gospel. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there will be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, verse 20, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to others still, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Men. Whew. So, let me tell you, that was a lot. A, just a lot. So, what was Jude really doing here? He was doing two things. The first uh, 16 verses, he is talking about to reject false teachers, rejecting this false gospel that he's talking about. And then, the last half, verse 17 through 24, it's talking about how believers need to remain faithful to the true gospel, to not allow uh, individuals and beliefs and things to, to snake and worm their way in. You know, it makes me think of like, like an apple. Have you ever like reached into a bag of apples and you see the wormhole and you're like, oh, you don't even, I don't want an apple from the rest of this bag. We can't let things worm their way in and pull away and dilute the power of the true gospel. We can't allow ourselves to be like a reef that causes a shipwreck in someone's life. Because see, just like me, again, with P90X, I was like, yeah, man, we're going to look good. I got my friends together. We're going to look good. And none of us look good. We can't be that. Because see, this is what we're going to unpack today. The, the big idea is how a false gospel set us up for failure. False gospels set us up for failure. Now, here's the thing. There are many false gospels. There's not just like one false gospel, okay? There's a bunch of them. 
And today we're going to look at probably the most, like the most famous, the ones that kind of we were going to come into contact the most. And then at the end, we're going to talk about the three that are most easily believed, the ones that easily pull us away from the truth, that worm their way in and cause destruction. And I'm going to do this like as much as I can today. But again, a false gospel, it sets us up for, for failure because ultimately, again, especially what Jude is talking about here, these false teachers, these false individuals that are trying to get them to believe a gospel of saying that they could do whatever they want, that there's nothing wrong, that almost like sin doesn't matter anymore, that God's grace is good. You, listen, you can do whatever you want. God loves you just as you are. Just do you. Be you. And there's one pastor that talks about, he says, your um, orthodoxy becomes your orthopraxy, which basically means what you think, feel, and believe is what determines the life that you lead, the way you live your life. What you think, feel, and believe about your marriage, guess what? That's how your marriage is going to be. What you think, feel, and believe about finances, about scripture, about church, about whatever, that becomes how you act. That becomes how you react. And what we want to do as followers of Christ is we don't want to live a life of disobedience because what I think, feel, and believe no longer matters when I become a follower of Jesus. What he thinks, feels, and believes is what matters. And sometimes there's going to be a conflict between his and mine. And I have to surrender mine to be obedient to him. So today, again, we're going to unpack a lot of this because what happens is we can all fall prey to what I'll call like a predatory gospel. You see, a false gospel, the whole purpose of it is to pull you away from the truth. It's to drag you away from what's true, from what's real, from what's accurate. And it's this predatory gospel, these, these beliefs that are really, again, just like, like predator, to, predator to prey to devour to strip wreck your life, to mess you up, to completely distort your view. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think the people that are pushing false gospels, I don't think they're all terrible individuals. But what I do believe is at some point in their life, they were fed a false gospel and it pulled them away. So if you hear me talk about some of this, and you're like, oh, I got a relative that they think that. Oh, they are terrible. No, there's a high chance that they just have no idea that they're ignorant. And so my hope and goal, the same as Jude, as we study this, as we look at this, as we recognize in ourselves where we're missing it and allow God to do a great work. And then if we recognize this in someone else, we pray for them and we lovingly and gracefully care for them, not bash them, not shame them, not condemn them. But again, just as I said, help them to be pulled from the fire. So, Here's a few predatory gospels, if you will. One is the gospel of self-prosperity. It's this gospel of self-prosperity. And this is a gospel that, as it says, it's all about me. It's all about you. And it's not just about It's the fact that God wants to give you everything, that God wants you to be comfortable, that it's all about you, it's all about me. And what I think, feel, and believe is what is true. It's what's accurate. Why? Because it's all about me. Me, 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 me. W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? So you have this self-prosperous gospel that people are trying to tell you again and proclaim to you, proclaim to me, that God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to feel good. And the truth is, that's not always the case. Throughout Scripture, most of Paul's letters he wrote from prison. Pretty sure he didn't feel good. 
Some of the most encouraging passages in the New Testament that he wrote, guess what? Was from prison. With the smell of poo and urine in his nose, he wrote Philippians. Mm. Some of us, we can't even tolerate changing our own child's diapers. And yet he was sitting there writing about the goodness of God. So one, again, it's a selfish prosperity gospel. Another is a gospel of sexual immorality. And this is a gospel that teaches that God doesn't care about your sexual choices. It's what you want, what you think, feel, and believe, what culture says is okay. When really what matters to God, when you look at scripture, um, there are two covenants, one with us and him. And then there's the other covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman. And that is the way God designed it. That is the way scripture is written. And here, here's the thing. What happens is, again, we, we take and we manipulate sex into this terrible thing when sex is a gift from God. Okay, this is the part where we're like, man, I really wish my kids were in kids' ministry. Sex is not a bad thing. However, sex outside the boundaries, the way God designed it, is. God designed it in a very specific way, and it is a beautiful, wonderful thing. That, again, it's called, caused the world to flourish. If you don't believe me, we have child dedications coming up in January. Um, the world is flourishing. But we were bought at a price. And because of that, again, all these things, they may push against what you personally think, feel, and believe. And that is okay because we have to filter through what God thinks, feels, and believes. You may be sitting here again as I read off all these different things. You're like, uh-uh, that's, uh-uh. Well, what does God have to say? What does Scripture say? Because at the end of the day, we have to surrender to what Scripture says. And guess what? Sometimes I don't like it either. But I am not my own. I was bought at a price. A gospel of hate and racism. There are individuals, they hate other individuals and religions. They hate Muslims. They hate people because of the color of their skin. They hate individuals because um, it could be a different gender. And guess what? There are people that say that they see no different in hating people, but yet they can still consider themselves a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Check it. The gospel is not about tearing apart, but bringing together. He says that we are the body of Christ. Other churches, other, listen, other Christian churches, they're not our competition, they're our completion. One thing I love about Thrive, all of our locations, just how, how diverse we are, socioeconomically, uh, racially, uh, gender, almost like every type of demographic we have. And I love it. You know why? Because when we get to heaven, guess what? They're not splitting us up. Okay, we're all going to be worshiping and living in heaven together. But yet there are times, and I have seen it over and over growing up in the South. Like, you may think Virginia's the South. Mm. North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, that's, that, that's, that's, that's South. I mean, if you don't know it, just hear the way I say South. So for me, I know and I've seen family members that they praise God on Sunday and they're saying the N word the rest of the day after church. And I'm going to say this, God's not okay with it. Scripture's not okay with it. And I'm going to get off soapbox. Gospel of racism and hate. This 
pro, this, this uh, self-prosperity gospel, this gospel of sexual morality, these predatory gospels. Another one is uh, the gospel of sectarianism. Say sectarianism. Make you feel smart. That's where you believe that your thought belief system about how church should be done is the only way. Listen, Baptists are best and Methodists stink. That's what that is. Some of you may think, you know what? I love a non-denominational church. They just know how it's done. Guess what, guys? Again, we get to heaven. We are not going to be separated. We're going to be worshiping God together. Uh, wrong. And then one of the biggest ones, and we'll, we'll, I'll talk about here, but mention it here, talk more in depth later, is a gospel of good works. We just need to do enough good. You know what? You know what saves you? Good works. You check off enough boxes, uh, make sure you don't check off the bad boxes, and you'll be fine. God knows your intentions. He knows your heart. It's okay. No, we are all sinful, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And you know what that means? All of us need Jesus. Every single one of us. So here's why all that matters. Why does that matter? Because see, culture has created this convincing false gospel that keeps the world from experiencing true freedom that's found in the gospel, that's found in Christ. So again, because our culture is telling us you should think this way, feel this way, do this, don't do that. And then culture is like, this is the way it's supposed to be for now, because in 10 years, we're going to change our mind. In 10 years, actually, we've been wrong. Now we're going to think and feel this way about this thing and this topic. And then 10 years from now, culture changes every 10 to 15 years. What's accepted, what's not accepted, what's accepted, not One thing I'm thankful for is that the freedom that I have in Christ, his truth is still true today, yesterday, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. We can um, build our life upon him. Jesus actually says in a parable, he says, those who hear my commands and obey them are like the one who built his house on a rock. The storms come, the wind blows, everything's shaken, but it stands firm. Those who hear my commands and do not obey them is like the one who builds their house on sand. The wind blows, the storm comes, and it collapses. That's the KRV translation, if you didn't know. So culture is built, listen, if we align our thoughts and belief systems based off of what culture is saying, we're building our life on sand. God's word is true and stands forever. Any gospel, because again, culture, the gospel they're pushing, the false gospel is going to send us into a bondage of sin. One where we were thinking that well, I can just do it again, just what Jude was dealing with, with, with his crew, with all these believers, all these churches. People were trying to worm their way in and say, no, 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 you can just do what you want. It's okay. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. But that's not the truth. That's not the true gospel. So here's what we got to do. And this is the most difficult thing. We got to fight against the appeal of false gospels. Because guess what? Some false gospels, oh, I would love to give into because I'm selfish. Because false gospels are always about me, me getting what I want. Ooh, ooh, I get to, I get to do what I want. I get to, mm-hmm. It makes it like it's your birthday every day. I remember growing up, it was like, if it was our, my, my brother's our birthday, we got to pick what we listened to on the radio, mm-hmm. which was half the time I think my parents still said no. Um, 
fight against the appeal of false gospels. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. It says, Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once and for all to his holy people. I say this because ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. False gospels can and be intriguing. They can be appealing, but ultimately they're going to lead us to be, end up disobeying Scripture. Because again, following Jesus is not a cakewalk. All right, we have to die to ourselves. We have to say no to us. Uh, Jesus says in Mark that we have to crucify our flesh. Take up our cross and follow him daily. Does that sound enjoyable? No. Anybody that says, I love getting to crucify myself every day. I'm praying for them because I think they might have a screw loose. Because it is difficult. I don't find enjoyment of saying no to myself. I want to give in. I want to say yes. I want what I want, and I want it now, like J.G. Wentworth. It's my money. Get it when you need it. So how do we do this? How do we defend? How do we fight against the appeal? For Here's one thing. We need to be aware. You can't fight what you don't know. You need to be aware of the different types of false gospels that are out there. And that's why I, want, I shared those other five. And we're going to talk about the, probably the three most easily believed. Because if we're not aware, we're, we can so easily be succumbed and pulled under. So here's the first one. is the gospel of monotheism. Gospel of monotheism. That's saying that I believe in God and that's enough. I wish that were enough. James says that even the demons believe in God. So if, 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 I am in the, if I fall for this false gospel of believing that salvation, I can just believe in God. That's enough. That's all I got to do. Then I am on the same framework and the, thing, and the same uh, wavelength thought-wise as demons. I'm not calling you a demon. I'm just saying the way we think logically. Even demons believe. They're not going to heaven. Romans, Paul wrote in chapter 10, that for salvation, it's, it's not to just believe in God, but it's to believe and to confess that Christ, that by his death and resurrection, we are forgiven of our sins. It's to believe that and to confess that. That is the way of salvation. That is the true gospel. That is not the false gospel of just believing that God exists. The second one, the second gospel that's so easily believed in today's culture is the gospel of hedonism. It's another fancy term that basically God wants me to be happy no matter what I do. Again, it's all about me. Me, 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 me. Jesus, he said that narrow is the gate. Wide is the gate to destruction, but narrow is the gate to salvation. Narrow. Paul said that grace in Romans, I love that he says, you know, um, He's like, some of you are like, hey, because of God's grace, that means we can just sin. We can sin all the more because of grace, right? No, no. Grace is not a permittance for me and you to sin as much as we want to. It's not an excuse. Why? Paul wrote, again, Colossians, we are not our own. We were bought at a price. That's like my life verse because I'm so selfish. I have to keep reminding myself. Does God want you to be prosperous? Yes, but not by your definition. God does want you to live a prosperous life, but it's going to be, it may look different than what you want. 
Because God is going to provide in your life according to what he has called you to, according to how he wants to use you to fulfill his desires and his will. And we have to surrender to that. We have to come under obedience to that. We may not get what we want, but the question is, is God's will going to be done? Are we going to be obedient? And the third gospel is the gospel of capitalism. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, you said a political word. Calm down. It's okay. You see, the gospel of capitalism is very similar to that of good works, is that we earn. That salvation is an earning. It's a transaction. That if I do this, this, and this, if I don't do this, this, and this, then I can go to heaven. But here's the truth. That is not the case. That is not going to work. That's not how this works. That's not how it happens. Because you can't give enough. You can't do enough good. You can't not do enough good. You can't, like, repel from doing bad enough for God to say, you know what? You're in. No. Because how you define good, how I define good, I guarantee you is going to contradict how God defines good. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The only way of salvation, I love that Paul writes in Ephesians, He talks about how we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ so that no one can boast. Because you better believe it. If we could save ourselves, we would boast about ourselves. Man, look how good, man. I got got my certificate, man. I'm getting to go to heaven because I didn't know. Look at this. Look at all the stuff I did. I'll shoot. No. We are saved by our faith in Christ. We are saved by God's good grace that he did not have to show, that he did not have to give. So we have to fight and defend against this appeal of the false gospels that are presented to us throughout our lives. And we do that, again, by being aware of them, but by also embracing the true gospel. We have to allow God to continue to to finish his great work that he has within us. We have to allow ourselves to say no to me and yes to him, be obedient to him to what he's called you to do, And that may be saying no to opportunities. Sometimes God's will is saying no. Should I get the job? What if God said no? Well, if I go there, I get to make more money. God definitely wants me to make more money. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But we have to be willing to say no to us so that his will can be done. We have to fight and not allow individuals and false gospels to worm their way into our lives. So we have to embrace the true gospel. We have to love it. We have to love the fact that we, didn't, that we can't save ourselves, that we can't do enough, that we have to surrender our lives to him. We have to live the true gospel. We have to allow our lives, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, to be salt and light. That when people come into contact with you, that they're like, there's something different, man. You, you, you seem joyous even when life sucks. Like, how is that possible? Like, you told me about how all these terrible things are going, but yet you somehow still have joy. <sighs> Share the gospel. One of the things I love seeing online is Pastor Mark Thomas, our Richmond City Campus pastor. Um, Him going out and sharing the gospel and him taking selfies with individuals to make a decision to follow Jesus and give them like a little background. I'm just like, man, that's what it's like. Love it, live it, share it. To allow the truth of God's gospel to permeate and invade every area of our life. 
to not say, God, you can have everything except this. You can have everything except for my hobbies. That time is for me, me time. No, God wants you to surrender everything. Why? Because you're not your own. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not your own. You are his. And guess what I love? That's okay because he's trustworthy, because he is faithful. He cares for you. He's going to provide for you. It can be so scary to have to say no to things and hope that God is actually going to do what he says he's going to do. And I want to tell you, I am here because I've seen him do it countless times in my life and the life of others. I've tried to dismiss God. I've tried to not believe in God. I've doubted God. But every time I do, I'm reminded of moments, just as Jude is reminding them, I'm reminded of moments where God provided, where God stepped in, where God brought healing. I can't dismiss God because God is moving and he is powerful. And today, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be real with you. God is going to challenge you this week. I, my prayer as I've been prepping for this message. It's not the typical like positive prayer. My prayer has been that God will convict us. That God will convict us of where we've been missing it. God will convict us of what false gospels we may have been kind of letting into our lives. And instead, embracing the true gospel. Instead, fight against the appeal of false gospels. And here's the truth. You can't do it by yourself. You ain't strong enough. I'm not strong enough. We need God's intervention. So this morning, we're going to take a moment. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God reveals in our lives and that God equips us to do his great work. And then also, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ here in a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer where you get to make that decision today. But let's pray together. God, we're so thankful that you care for us. That, God, you made a way for us that you're constantly moving in our lives, drawing us to yourself. God, I speak against the false gospels in our lives. God, I pray that you would make us aware of, of the ones that we've allowed to worm into our lives. that have been, again, like Jude said, like reefs that can cause a shipwreck. God, help us open our eyes, give us wisdom, give us knowledge. God, give us a desire to consume and understand Scripture so that we can filter these false gospels through it, so we can know what's true, we can know what's false. God, I pray you convict us of the areas of our lives that we're missing it, the areas of our lives that we're allowing false gospels to intrude and invade. God, give us wisdom and steps, God, to navigate how to get away from them. And God, forgive us of our selfishness, forgive us of allowing them to attach. God, I pray that as we leave this place, as we go, God, awaken us with a desire to follow you, to obey you. God, rejuvenate us to be passionate about your truth, to share the gospel, to love it, to live it, and to share it. God, I pray that you put people in our lives this week that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with. Share of your goodness, of your grace, of your unconditional love. And as we continue to pray this morning, if you don't follow Jesus, you've not made that decision. Well, this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to, to make the greatest decision ever. And it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's to believe and to confess, to believe that Jesus, as God in the flesh, came to this earth, that he died. And on the third day, he came back to life. And in doing so, can forgive us of our sins. 
and also give us eternal life is to believe and to confess. God, I pray as we go throughout this day and this week, you equip us. God, you guide us. And it's your holy name we pray. Amen.